For several weeks we've had scaffolding around this church, which reminds some of us of the time when this whole place was being refurbished. It took a highly symbolic nine months while our Anglican friends across the road showed us great hospitality. Though we must at times have seen like an invading army with our hearty hymns, our unlit candles and strange little communion cups, never once did they even hint, we are graciously pleased to put you up for a while. No, they seem to be saying, you have as much right to be here because you're family. And that was a wonderful feeling. And that's why it's such a privilege for us now to offer a home here to those beautiful young Orthodox Christians who went through hell to escape persecution in their native Eritrea. We say to them, this is as much your home as ours because you're family. Well, the Anglicans said goodbye to us in style, processed us across the road, and joined us for our first service in our posh new premises. And like this morning, it was a baptism service. Barbara Berkhamshaw, about to become chair of the Cymru district, christened her granddaughter, Lizzie. Last Wednesday week, some of us went to Ashford to see Lizzie's mum, Helen, welcomed as assistant chair of this district. Lizzie's now 21 and a law student. You make me feel old, you kids. <laughs> One result of those building works 21 years ago was a cage of steel behind these wall panels. We also moved the organ from here, where the piano is, to the gallery. Now those of you sitting under it, Graham sitting at it, are glad to know that it sits on a great weathered oak beam reinforced with steel plating. So the structure is secure. Brian's nodding. I'm glad I got that right. <laughs> so the structure is secure. But we also wanted to strengthen the family life of this church. So we created one entrance instead of the two that were here before. We removed the old wooden pews and replaced them with these chairs. This was to remove obstacles to what the New Testament calls koinonia, the family life of the people of God. Fergal Keane is one of the BBC's best storytellers. For his broadcast from our own correspondent, he received an award for his letter to Daniel, 
It was about the birth of his first child in Hong Kong. He spoke movingly about his own father, who was eaten away by the cancer of alcoholism and lost his family. By the time Fergal had grown up, he lived on his own in a one-roomed flat, living and dying for the bottle. When he died, Fergal was too far away to hear his last words. And all the things they might have said to one another were left unspoken. And this is how Fergal ends his letter to his newborn son. Daniel, when you let out your first powerful cry in the delivery room and I became a father, I thought of your grandfather. And foolish though it may seem, hope that in some way he could hear across the infinity between the living and the dead your proud statement of arrival. For if he could hear, he would recognize the distinct voice of the family. The sound of hope and new beginnings that you and all your innocence and freshness have brought to the world. The distinct voice of the family is the voice of unconditional love. Love without strings. At his first circuit meeting this week, our new superintendent minister, Emmanuel, heard a cry of real pain from our Hearn Bay Church and did a wonderful thing. He was sitting just down here, chairing the meeting from just down here. He reminded us that the churches of this big circuit, which is now enormous, stretches right out to Margate and Deal and goodness knows where. He reminded all the churches that we're a family. And that seemed to strike a a chord as church after church recognized that distinct voice and offered to come to the help of our sister church. Lily's great-grandma, May Gurr, was a part of this church's family and in her time a force to be reckoned with. She played the banjo, the guitar, and the piano. Her distinctive voice was valued in our choir. She was in the women's fellowship, helped with the toddlers group, and was a pastoral visitor. I loved visiting her because she enjoyed telling stories of old Northgate, where she grew up. Her dad, you've heard this one before, some of you, was a chimney sweep and must have been a good one because he cleaned the chimneys at Higham Park for Count Louis Zborowski. Taking me a long time to get that right. The racing car driver of 
chitty bang bang fame. And I remember her chuckling as she described the scene to me as Borowski called for her dad. With his bag of brushes and dressed in his black suit, Charlie climbed into the back of the famous open-top car and held on to his hat as the Count drove off to the applause of the neighbours who turned out for the occasion. Who would want to miss a scene like that? I've read that the council later passed a bylaw to stop him driving in the city because of the noise. Well, among the stories that her son Peter told us at her funeral, one of them sticks in my mind. They were wonderful stories, but one sticks in my mind. Returning from choir practice in this church one cold winter's night, May was passing the King Billy pub, popular with soldiers and locals. It's no longer there, but it was a legend in her own time. Piano playing, crowd singing. May saw a child sitting outside in a pram. And as related by uncles Bert and Charlie, who were there at the time, <laughs> the door burst open and in charged May, with a hymn book under her arm demanding, whose child is that out there? Get it home, or there will be trouble. Well, the parents left without comment, and you could hear a pin drop. May cheered us up and put her stamp on this big family. I bet you still tell those stories, don't you? Across the infinity between the living and the dead, which we call the communion of saints. If May could hear, she would recognize the distinct voice of the family, the sound of hope and new beginnings that Lily, in all her innocence and freshness, have brought into the world. And I know she will be immensely proud to know the wonderful work, work that Rob and Vicky are doing in their working lives, showing love to people at the very margins of our society and setting a great example to their children as their parents set a wonderful example to them. They didn't become the people they are in a vacuum. Did they, Gina? Did they? Because <laughs> Rob's dad was the chair of the trustees of Catching Lives. Not a great accident that he winds up doing the work he's doing. The quality of love the early church saw in Jesus was a love which blew their minds. They'd seen nothing like it before. And all the words for love, which were common coinage among them, had become debased, so they looked for another one. They came upon a little Greek word, which had largely fallen out of use. 
they set it to work and passed it down to us. It's the word agape. It's the love that wants nothing for itself, that wants only the best for others, wants others to be the best they can possibly be, and is prepared to die for them. And no matter what they will do, will never, never, never let them go. It's also a love that makes the first move. When I baptised Lily just now, I took her in my arms and I told her this. For you, Christ came into the world. For you, he lived and showed God's love. For you, he suffered and died. And all this before you could know anything of it. In your baptism, the word of Scripture comes true. We love because he first loved us. He doesn't wait for us to be old enough, or wise enough, or good enough. In this Methodist baptism service, the questions that we put to parents and godparents and congregation come after the baptism, not before it. They're not like a sort of driving test before we take to the road. Just over 500 years ago, Martin Luther preached that our fundamental value as people rests in the love and grace of God alone. And in his times of terrible self-doubt, he would remind himself over and over again, I am baptized. Hung on to that. I am baptized. As we've just heard, as Jesus came up out of the waters at, at his baptism, he too heard that distinct voice of the family, the voice of God. This is my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. That's actually two quotations from the Old Testament which set out both the task before him and the only way he can fulfill it, which is the way of the cross. And so I finish with the closing lines of Malcolm Geat's sonnet on the baptism of Christ. The dove descends, the spirit soars and sings, you are beloved, you are my delight. In that swift light and life, as water spills and streams around the man like quickening rain, the voice that made the universe reveals the God in man who makes it new again. He calls us, too, to step into that river, to die and rise and live and love.
forever.